I'm sure most of us here have been in the situation where either you had to fill out a application or maybe you were attending some meeting of some sort or another and and the people said um, tell us a little bit about yourself you know you have to write I recently I was to preach at a place and they sent me an email and said can you send us a a, a bio that's what they call it a bio of yourself you know which you're supposed to describe yourself in one way or another I hate those things don't you don't don't you hate it when you have to talk about yourself or write something about yourself what did you do on your summer vacation that sort of thing you know I just I always despise those sort of things I don't know about you but that really puts you in the spot who are you what's your identity tell us something about yourself all those sort of things are are usually pretty difficult to deal with and not not very pleasant well, today we want to do that sort of thing, hopefully not in an unpleasant way, but we want to do it spiritually. We want to tell about ourselves spiritually. What is our identity? That's what I want to suggest to you this morning, that we talk about... Here we go. I think we're going to get this. I want to talk about my identity and, and yours as well. If you're a, a, if you are a believer in the Bible, if you're living for God... Uh, if you are seeking salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, you have some terms that identify you, that really tell about yourself. And we want to talk about those this morning because all of those sort of things have uh, direct bearing on how we live our daily lives. And so we're going to be talking about our identity as Christians this morning. What is your identity? What is my identity if we claim to be those who are living for God? Stop here for just a minute to say thank you uh, for being present. We have a beautiful Lord's Day in Middle Tennessee, and the sun is bright and shiny. It really looks like springtime out there. And we are especially blessed on this Lord's Day to be able to come together to worship God, to serve Him, to offer praise and honor and glory to Him. It's a great privilege to be together. We have visitors with us this morning. We're always grateful for our visitors. We want you to come back every time you can. We're always open to questions. We're always available for additional Bible study. If there's anything that we can do to help you along those lines, please let us know. Uh, we'll be glad to assist. Okay, what's your identity? You know, tell us a little bit about yourself, as, as they say, or give us a short bio uh, concerning your identity. How would you begin as a, a person seeking God? Uh, again, we're addressing this to those of us who have already obeyed the gospel. And if you're not, if you have not yet, then these things wouldn't apply to you, but they should, and you need to make that decision. But this is talking to us, right? So I'm going to start out by saying my identity and yours is a Christian, if you've obeyed the gospel. If you, if you've done the things that are taught in the Word of God that followed that necessary plan of salvation, then this would be the most uh, obvious identifier. But it's really extremely important. This is a name given to us by God Himself. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 62, verse 2, there's, a, I think, a very significant promise, a prophecy, that this name would be applied to God's people. The Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. I believe Isaiah there was talking about this name Christian. It came about. After the church began, after the gospel was being preached and spreading throughout the world, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, it says the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. That is that name, that prophetic name that was given. You know, some argue that the name Christian was given in derision, that it was a put-down, that it was an insult that was being hurled at believers by their 
enemies. But I really don't think that's the case. And I think we can, we can show there that Isaiah prophesied a new name would be given and it was applied and it was the name Christian. Now, when you think about that, that special God-given name, that, that should be significant. Uh, every once in a while we uh, hear of a child maybe who's been very bad and, and gotten into all kind of trouble and, and, and done a number of horrible things and someone will say, well, that kid has dishonored his family name, right? That, that's a shameful thing. Well, we need to be careful not to dishonor our name given by our father, our family name. We are Christians. Uh, this identifies us, and it is important. Sometimes we hear people, I think, misapply the term Christian. They apply it to almost anything. Some of our friends in the religious world would use the name Christian to apply to softball games and pie suppers. You know, this is a Christian softball league. Well, the word's never used that way in the Scripture. The word is always used to identify uh, God's people, and we need to use it that way. That's our name. If, if we are among His, if we've obeyed the gospel, this is our name, and we should uh, wear it carefully, not to bring any disrespect to the family name. Another thing that identifies us is the term saint. This is a much misunderstood word. And I think a lot of that goes to the Catholic Church and their perversion of the idea of sainthood. To them, a saint is somebody who did particularly amazing things. In fact, it's even necessary to confirm that this individual supposedly did miracles. In the Catholic Church, you can't be a saint unless you're someone who did confirmed miracles and also you have to be dead. In fact, there's actually a waiting period that you have to go through before you could be named a saint in the Catholic Church. You may have heard in the news recently that Mother Teresa, uh, the famous nun from India, of course, she's dead now, but she hasn't gone through the mandated waiting period to be able to be identified as a saint, but they're going to make her a saint. They're going to, they're going to alter the rules. They're going to make an exception in the case. They're going to make her a saint or She's been dead long enough to qualify under Catholic Church rules. That's just, that is all man-made error. That's not taught in the Scriptures at all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, we understand that all who are in Christ are saints. Unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Uh, if you have believed in Jesus and obeyed the gospel, then you are a saint. Now, another way that people might misuse this terminology is someone, you know, uh, maybe they've been caught in some kind of an error. Maybe they, they're, they're being questioned about some, some personal behavior that they've involved in. And someone says, well, I'm no saint. You know, well, you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be a saint. And actually, that name would suggest that you're living a right way. The word saint comes from the word sanctified. It means set apart, dedicated. You're supposed to be a set apart, dedicated person to the Lord, living for Him. One of your identifiers is the term saint. Another thing that identifies us is the word disciple. That's used a lot of times in the New Testament. If I, if I counted right, or if my if my software counted right, 255 times in the New Testament the word is found. 
The word disciple means a devoted student, a devout follower, or literally a learner and an imitator. If you're that, then that will also dictate how you live, right? If you are identified as a disciple, then it suggests the idea that you are learning, that you keep learning, and that you continue to imitate the one you are learning from. You're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're learning from Him, and you're trying to imitate Him in your life. Notice in in Matthew 28, Matthew 28, verse 19, in what we refer to as the Great Commission, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, uh, and of the Holy Ghost. Notice in, in Matthew's account, in the King James Version, it says, teach all nations. But it's interesting that in another translation, like the New American Standard Version, it says, go therefore, notice, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. So notice, teach, make disciples. Those terms mean the same thing. So a, a disciple is one who has been taught, one who has learned, and then followed the one from whom he has learned. That's what a disciple does. Are you continuing to learn? And do you make conscious effort to imitate the one you're learning from, our Lord Jesus Christ? Your identity as a disciple would indicate that's what you ought to be doing. Another identifier is the word soldier. And this comes from the text that Ethan read for us earlier from 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So there's that terminology. You are to be a soldier. Now what about soldiers? You know, I suppose there are some pleasant benefits associated with soldiering. You know, uh, uh, you, you get the uh, you, you get to wear the uniform. You know, and sometimes that's kind of special. Uh, to get to wear that uniform with the bright, shiny button and, and all that. And maybe to get to march in parades and, and get some of the uh, uh, acclamation that comes, you know, as, as we honor our, our soldiers. But this is not talking about that. In this connection, Paul wasn't talking about all the pleasant things that come from being... There's some... Notice, he says hardness. There's some hard things that come from being a soldier. Don't picture the soldiers in their uniforms marching in a parade. Instead, he said, picture a soldier in a foxhole. And it's, it's raining and cold and muddy and, and bombshells are going off all around him and bullets are flying over his head. That's, the, that's your test of a soldier. And here Paul says, endure hardness as a good soldier. You're going to be a soldier? Then be ready for the hardships that come with that. And be willing to endure those things as you serve the Lord. You're supposed to be a soldier. And think about what, how that implies that you be ready to do whatever it takes and face whatever hardship comes your way in order to be faithful to the one who called you to be a soldier. Another identifier is that of a member of the body of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 beginning, Christ also suffered, or excuse me, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. We are members of his body. Now that's a longer text, of course, and I just picked out a couple of the phrases. You notice Christ gave himself for the church. We are members of his body. Uh, that's what I want to really emphasize here. 
What if some member of your body refused to do what the head was commanding it to do? So here's my hand, and my hand I can't make my hand do anything. My hand won't do what my head is telling it to do. Maybe it won't do anything at all. Maybe my hand is completely limp. I have no control over it at all. Or my hand is out here doing stuff all the time, but I'm not telling it to do that. It's doing it. It's just sort of spasming there and just going about on its own, just doing its own thing. I, I can't control it. It either won't do what I tell it to do or it does things I don't tell it to do. What would you do in that circumstance? Well, you'd be rushing to the doctor, right? A member of the body is supposed to do what the head tells it to do. Well, we are members of Christ's body. And that being the case, then we ought to be obedient to our head. This goes to the whole idea of doing what the Scriptures tell us. Uh, adhering to the authority of, the, uh, of our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we're members of His body. That ought to regulate what we do. We're not free to do what we, what we want to do on our own or to not do anything at all. We're supposed to be doing what our head tells us to do. The Scriptures also tell us that we are priests of God. What do you think of when you think of a priest? Well, someone says, well, when I think of a priest, I think of someone who's just constantly involved in religious activities of one sort or another. And and they're doing things that pertain to worshiping God. A priest is involved in things that have to do with worshiping God, right? And probably when you think of a priest, you also think of someone who offers sacrifices of one kind or another. Well... I would say those things are right. That is what a priest does. Well, what about us? Notice in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 29, But ye are a chosen generation, notice, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are a royal priesthood. If you back up in that text to verse 5, it says, Ye also are lively stones, build up a spiritual house. Notice again, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So the whole idea of priesthood, we're priests, that's one of our identifiers. What does a priest do? A priest offers sacrifices. What are the sacrifices that we're to be offering? Not animal sacrifices like the priest of the Old Testament did, but in Romans chapter 12, beginning verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so our sacrifices are our bodies, a living sacrifice to the Lord. We're priests. We're supposed to be involved constantly in religious service, and we offer sacrifices and, and our sacrifices are our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. You begin to see there's a number of terms that apply to us who are trying to live for God. Christian, saint, disciple, soldier, member of the body, a priest. Certainly, we're identified as children of God. I am a child of God. You know, this is one of the most frequent descriptions we have in the Scriptures, and, but I think we all often take it too much for granted uh, we don't really stop to appreciate what's meant and, and, and how great it is that we can be called the children of God. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love God hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. 
It's amazing. What manner of love. What an amazing thing that God did that we should be called the sons of God. A few weeks ago, we had a lesson in which we dealt with the idea of adoption and how that we have been adopted as children of God. Very special thing that God would do that for us. Romans chapter 8 and Romans chapter 9 talk a lot about the adoption of son. We are the adopted children of God. As we pointed out in that lesson, you know, it's pretty amazing how that adopted parents make a conscious choice to accept this child as their own. And God has done that for us. What manner of love God has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. That's a very special thing. Now, as the adopted children of God, would we show disrespect, disloyalty, or ingratitude to the one who has adopted us? Well, we shouldn't, right? We should appreciate what's been done for us in that regard. So we should live as faithful, diligent, obedient children because of the love that God has showered upon us in making us His children. Another term is servant, or really better, slave. We are a servant of God or a slave of God. Uh, in the New Testament, especially in verses like the King James Version, we often read the word servant, which actually is more accurately translated slave. Romans, here's an example. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Notice, here's, let me go back to this. Here's the New American Standard version of that same verse. This is King James and New American Standard. But did you notice here, it says servant, you were servants of sin. The New, the New American Standard says you were slaves of sin. You were made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. This says you became made free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And I really think the word slave conveys the better notion there. You know, a servant, you know, I'm a servant. I might, I might choose to be a servant for a while, but if, if I don't like the way, if I don't like this arrangement, I might quit, go do something else. But if I'm a slave, then that suggests that uh, 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 the word slave, I guess what I'm saying here, is conveys the notion more of an obligation to the will of the master. A slave does what he's told. A slave doesn't exercise his own will. A slave does what his master says to do. And so, as a servant, or better, a slave of God, then it's no longer my will that is being pursued. I'm pursuing the will of my master. So I think we do well to spend some time contemplating that uh, we, we use the word servant a lot, but maybe if we concentrate on the idea that we are slaves, uh, then that takes it more to the concept that my will is not involved here. It is all the will of the Master. So we are servants or slaves of God. Of course, you know one of the descriptives that we have is from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, beginning verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We've talked a lot in times past about salt and light. And we know, of course, the idea of salt there is that which preserves. Obviously, the idea of light is that which illuminates or makes, uh, makes it so you can see. Uh, and that's our job. We are, we are to preserve and illuminate. That's our role in this wicked world that we live in. 
we talk a lot about how things in our society become more and more wicked and corrupt. And it, it, it seems like it's growing at exponential rates. I am not suggesting that we live in the worst of all possible times. I don't think that's the case. But we live in bad times. Lots of evil and wickedness going on all around us. We're to be different. We're to be salt and light. We're, try, we're to try to preserve. We're to certainly make obvious or illuminate uh, the will of God in this world. We are to be salt and light. You may think of a number of other descriptors. I want to add one more here to the identity that we possess. We're talking about identity here. Right? Remember, we started out by using that expression. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What identifies you? Give us a short bio, if you will. I typically don't like those things at all. But here in regards to spiritual things, these are not things we're using to describe ourselves. These are words that the Scriptures use to describe those who are trying to live for God. Christian, saint, disciple, soldier, member of the body, priest, child of God, slave of God, salt and light in the world, finally a worker for the Lord. A familiar verse to us is 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Notice the emphasis on being a workman. Now, this has got a pretty pretty simple and obvious application to us, right? You, Your identity is to be a worker for the Lord. Are you a worker? Are you a workman? Well, what does a worker do? Well, a worker works, right? A workman works. You're going, to work, you're going to wear this name, a workman or a worker for the Lord, and not do anything? Obviously, the question is, are you working? Uh, does that descriptive fit you? Does, does that match your identity, so to speak? Are you a worker for the Lord? All right, look at that list again. And again, I, I've, I've, you might come up with something else to add to that list, but there's ten things there that identify us if we're seeking God in our lives. Now, I'm going to say I want to choose, I, I certainly I want to be a Christian and a child of God, and I might pick uh, uh, maybe a member of the body, but I, I, I'm going to pick three out of the ten. I just, want, I just want three of terms. I just want to use three of those terms to describe my identity. No. You don't, these are not optional. You get that point? These are not optional descriptives. These are all necessary things. And if, if it could not be said fairly that I'm a worker, then the whole thing collapses. If it could not be said that I'm enduring hardness as a soldier, then none of the rest of it fits. If I'm not learning as a disciple and following my master, then I'm not doing any of it right. These are not optional. Everyone is necessary if we're going to be the people God wants us to be. Well, our lesson this morning has been directed toward those of us who are already Christians and we simply ask you, are you living up to the name? Uh, are you wearing that name? Are you wearing all those descriptives faithfully in service to God? If not, then you need to make some changes. If there's things amiss, if you're falling down in any regard, in regards to those things that are supposed to identify you, then you need to make those changes. If we can help, if you need the prayers of the saints in any way, we're going to sing a song here in just a minute. And we, if you'll let us know, we'll be glad to pray with you and for you as a child of God that you could be back into a right relationship with Him and serving Him faithfully. If you're not a Christian yet, then we'd have to say, sadly, none of the things that we've talked about this morning describe you. They all should, but they don't because you haven't submitted yourself 
to the Lord in obedience to His will. If you're not a child of God, we hope you'll make the decision to become one this morning. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.